This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And you are listening to episode 152. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. Uh, as you will hear from now until the start of the event, uh, the SNN Network Canada virtual event, which is on January 6th and 7th, 2021, is coming. Uh, we've been adding new names to the presenting company list every day with many more on the way. We're also starting to fill in the agenda for when companies will be presenting on January 7th. So be sure to register and set your agenda. Remember, go to canada.snn.network and click register. I'm really excited for all of you to join us. Um, it's going to be an epic event. So I'm very excited for uh, everyone who's listening in or, or not, or if you think this might work for somebody, you know, tell them to go sign up and check it out. So um, I, I hope you're ready to go on a few runs, maybe a couple long drives, or uh, maybe have a lot of busy work this week because I have a lot of shows for you from the SNN Podcast Network. Uh, and, and speaking of the SNN Network Canada virtual event, I got a double dose from our co-host, Paul Andriola, uh, who has been mandated to go on every podcast between now and when the event starts. And uh, first up, I posted a short episode with Paul discussing why Canadian microcaps is a great place to hunt for the best of the undiscovered, which you can find on the Planet Microcap stream and on the SNN Network YouTube channel. Uh, Paul Andriola also join Gary Reby and Eric Fure on this week's episode of In the Market Trenches to have a great conversation on a couple war stories and dive a little deeper on his investing strategy. So you can check out this episode on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or Podbean at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. On avoiding the crowd with Maj Swaydan, Maj will be doing a case study on a company called Retractable Technologies, Inc., a publicly traded company, the symbols RVP on the NYC American. With vaccines now being delivered and seemingly there being a light at the end of the tunnel here, uh, Maj wanted to discuss an idea that he and his team at Geo Investing looked at back in March of this year and really has worked out quite well. So go and check out this episode on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or Podbean at avoidingthecrowd.podbean.com. And on the Investors Roundtable this week, I'm starting a periodic valuation episode series. I don't know what I'm calling it. Valuation series, episode, episodic, you know, just we're going to be, we're really just going to be talking about various business models and, and really how you value them. So, first up this week, we're going to be chatting about SaaS models, SaaS businesses, SaaS companies, and the SaaS revolution. So, uh, you can watch this episode on the SNN Network YouTube channel at youtube.com slash SNN Wire. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Andrew Walker. He is the founder and editor of Yet Another Value blog 
host of Yet Another Value Podcast, portfolio manager at Rangeley Capital, and co-host of the Rangeley Capital Podcast. I've been a fan and admirer of Andrew and all the work he's done on his blog and podcast, and this conversation was really long overdue. Uh, in the similar vein of my chat with Bill Brewster, you know, Andrew's investing philosophy and strategy are well covered on his platforms and the many interviews that he's done over the years. So really with this one, we just wanted to have a fun time chatting about what he's obsessed with currently and geek out on our mutual love of Marvel, Game of Thrones, and more. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 152 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Andrew Walker. Welcome back, everybody, to the Planet Microcap Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and I'm really excited about our guest today. You've definitely heard this individual before. He, you know, he's a host of two podcasts. He's got a great blog out there, very active on social media, and I couldn't recommend going to read his blog, uh, listen to his podcast even more. And uh, I'm going to tell you the names of them right now. It's the host of the Yet Another Value podcast, the Rangely Capital podcast, where he's a portfolio manager, as well as editor, editor of Yet Another Value blog. What's up, Andrew Walker? How you doing, man? Hey, no, thanks for having me on, Bobby. Uh, first time sometime, I would say. I've listened to, I can't say all of them because you, you put out a lot of content, but uh, you know, you've interviewed some of our mutual friends and uh, I, I've really enjoyed the podcast. So happy to be on here, ready to, excited to talk to you. Same here, man. I remember following before, I think it was even before the Yet Another Value blog start, because I think you started that in January 2017. I remember with the range of capital. I remember, uh, I think, because you're still working with Chris Demuth, like seeing all yep. that stuff. Yep. I, I was just like, what? Like just an admirer from afar. So it's uh, it, this has been a long time coming. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, you know, look, I know I start off every interview, uh, you know, from listening and everybody out there knows, uh, unless it's your first time, but uh you know, I usually always ask about background first, but I figured, you know what, We're, we'll get there. But I got to ask Andrew, what are you obsessed with right now? Let, let's let's just let's do that. We're going to go. We're going the full the, the PTI model where we're just going <laughs> to dive right into the, the hot topic of the day. This is well, you know, PTI, I think they've got a good model because, you know, a lot of them, a lot of podcasts like to shoot the shit. And what they've learned is it's like a newspaper, right? You go above the fold, you hit the big topic of the day. But no, I think we're leading the witness a little bit because I was telling you before the podcast, <laughs> I have just been obsessed with cruise lines for since the pandemic started. And I, I realize it's diminishing returns because every, you know, I do a monthly link post and every month I'll post something on the cruise lines and I'll tweet about it whenever there's a new article and just no one cares anymore because I'm posting about them all the time. But uh, over the summer, there was just a, a woman said, look, I, I, I compare myself to a rat who's addicted to cocaine when it comes to cruises. I'm just addicted to cruising. And when someone said that, or, you know, last month, Carnival, they sign up, uh, they say, hey, we need to test our COVID protocols. Who wants to go on a free cruise with COVID protocols? So it's not going to be a super fun cruise, but, you know, it's still a cruise. You'll still get some nice weather, some social distance. But who hey, wants to go to stop the port? thousand people sign up. And this is a cruise where, you know, they sailed another cruise in the Caribbean and 150 people went on it. And within a day, like seven of them had COVID. So this is a cruise where you're guaranteed to catch COVID. And 100,000 people signed up for it. So I've just been a little obsessed with the demand for cruise. And then that that kind of uh, goes into, you know, the stock prices for everything that's been hardest hit by COVID. 
you know, cruise lines, their enterprise value today is about the same as it was the start of the year before COVID even hit. And I've just been obsessed with when does demand for these things return? How is the stock market looking at these like this is they're looking at these like it's a blip, not that they're going to have any kind of permanent destruction of demand or anything. And uh, I've just been obsessed with them. I mean, it's really fascinating how it's of all the the travel and, and entertainment type uh, sectors, it's cruise lines. That really has been affected. I mean, I wonder if it's not, I wonder if, you know, because back in January where I, I can't even remember the name of the cruise line, but it was off the coast of California and there was a number of people infected. And that was quote unquote, you know, some of the most infections in California at the beginning. I wonder if that had anything to do with how most individuals are thinking, thought about cruise lines and COVID in this particular time period. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Because, you know, over the years, there have been a lot of disasters with cruises, right? Like you think about there were the cruises were like the the engine Italy? stop. And, Italy, yeah, I Italy think, ones. right? Yeah. Like you've got the ones where they capsize or you've got the ones where like, I think it was the Italy one where poop is literally coming out the toilets and they called, I think they called it the poop cruise or something, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I remember there was, I think it was Bern Hobart who writes the diff. I don't know if you ever had him on the podcast, but I All love right. him. He, he's a super sharp guy. I can't recommend his... Uh, not to plug other people's stuff, but I can't recommend his newsletter highly enough. And he said, for three years, I've been thinking about in 2017, Carnival Cruise Lines, their CEO came on and said, look, a couple of years ago, you know, something like the Italy cruise would happen and people would be covered in poop. And it would take several years for people to kind of forget about that and for the demand to return. And now the news cycle so fast or people's memories are so short, you'll see this, you know, we covered our guests in poop again. And people be like, oh, no big deal. Cruise, cruise demand never went away. And that I won't happen about, to me. Yeah. And I wonder about that with COVID, you know, like maybe people are really just looking at it and saying, hey, you know, as soon as this vaccine comes about, I'm willing to go on cruises. And it's surprising to me, right? Because it, one thing COVID, COVID showed you a lot of things, but one thing it showed was when you're on a cruise line, like everyone's going to share in those disease. And, you know, if there's another COVID, yes, you're going to get it. Hopefully there's not. But if there's a flu outbreak, you know, it just shows how vulnerable you are on a cruise everyone's going to catch everything everyone has on there. And I'm just surprised that that was, that doesn't result in any demand destruction, it seems. Well, you know, what's interesting about your obsession about it, that now it's got the wheels turning and it might be the caffeine, but it's getting the wheels turning is it really talks to the value prop of going on a cruise. I mean, I haven't been on one in years, but I mean, when we were kids back when we were living on the East coast, we would go almost every year and we loved it because you get to go to all the different ports and you know it's not like you're spending all this money to just go to one place yeah. and one hotel you know you get to go to all these different places you're on the water you know it's it's a, it's a great time it really is well and that's another reason why I, I've been a little obsessed with them because as you said the value prop of a cruise hey you go on it I've been on some cruises and you know I know a lot of people kind of look down on cruise lines but every time I go like the food it's not the best food ever but you get as much of it as you want and it's passable and I remember being at dinner and saying you don't say steak or lobster. You say, I'll take the steak and the lobster, right? So <laughs> it, it, alcohol, like cruise lines push alcohol from the beginning. There aren't many people places where you can socially acceptable to start drinking at 8 a.m. And a cruise line's one of them. But as you said, the value prop is great. And, you know, coming out of COVID, you I, I just wonder, like, there's the question of the demand, but there's also like, you know, there's the question of have these cruise lines showed like demand will come back no matter what. And as long as you're not in the middle of a pandemic, they're always going to have demand. That's what COVID showing. 
And it's not like there were going to be startup cruise ships anyway, but you know, cruises are going to be there. And uh, you have to think like a lot of kind of the smaller mom and pop alternatives to cruising are going to be gone. So maybe you're looking at like the super cycle of the demand still there. And a lot of your alternatives to cruising, as you said, the value proposition's always been great, but a lot of the propositions have closed from bankruptcy. So maybe they see the super cycle. I don't know, Andrew, look, I mean, at the end of the day, should we come up with like an Airbnb for, for yachts and cruise lines? I mean, maybe that's the next thing. It's just, you know, we have no, we have an asset light business uh, where people now have the ability to rent out their own yachts and or smaller boats. You know, actually, you know where they do that? They do um, uh, for, for Yacht Week. I, 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 I was about to say, it sounds yeah. like Yacht Week, but it also sounds like you just yeah. came up with the next unicorn. We should... We need to go trademark Airbnb for yachts right now. What are we doing with podcasting? This is, you know, this is a, you know, I, we, we, I think we have something here, but, uh, but yeah, man, I, I appreciate your obsession with cruise lines right now. It's pretty funny to think about and, uh, and just what could potentially happen there. I wonder if there's any other sectors that you've thought of that have that cruise line type of potential coming out of the well, COVID thing. Another one I, I, I really look at is, you know, AMC theaters and all the movie theaters, but AMC theaters in particular, their enterprise value right now, the stock price is down a lot because they're issuing equity like crazy, but their enterprise value right now is higher than, than it was at the start of the year. And that's a company, you know, similar to cruise lines. One of the reasons I'm so obsessed with them is, you know, if I'm looking at a normal hotel company, right? Like what they're losing right now, that's lost. But to some, you know, to some extent, a couple of years from now, it's going to be in the rear view mirror, right? Like the hotel doesn't depreciate that much if you're kind of mothballing it. But with the cruise line, like the ship is in the water and that salt water is destroying. And these yeah. things are spending hundreds of millions of dollars just to keep their ships kind of an upkeep. And similar with the movie theater, you know, no movie theater owns their movie, their actual theater. They all lease it. So they're spending so much money and rent while they're waiting for films to come back. And guess what? Films aren't coming back because over the summer, it, people were thinking that films were going to come back. It was like, no, like what film is going to come back with social distance protocol, right? Like you have to invest 50 to hundred million in marketing and you're never going to make that up if you can only fill, fill a theater up to, you know, 25, 33% capacity. So you look at these uh, movie theater companies and A, they're getting crushed right now because they're spending so much money on rent. And then B, every month that passes, you know, Disney plus shifts more movies to Disney shifts more movies to Disney plus versus theaters. Peacock shifts more movies to Peacock versus theater. So HBO. you you almost yeah. see like every month the movie theater is starting to get, become less and less of a distribution point for movies, and you have to wonder how long that can last before Disney just says, "Hey, we're just going to release everything on streaming, and we're going to make all of our money from owning the customers on streaming." So it's another one where I, I look at that, and uh, I look at the stock market price, and I look at just the business seems absolutely devastated. And it seems, especially for them, long term they're devastated, and they're long term, and the stock market just doesn't really seem to care. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, you know, I was, I'm one of those that like, I love, I'm a Marvel fan. I'll go see every Marvel movie. Like I, I'll, my wife isn't a huge fan, so I, I don't care. I'll, I love going to movies by myself. Like, have you listened? I, I mentioned this every now. Have you listened to binge mode? Binge mode. Oh, oh, so you're a Bill Simmons fan. There we go. That's okay. Oh. So you got my, so you got, so you got my, uh, my, my uh, PTI reference. Cause you just talked about so, it yesterday. Simmons, I was, okay. I, I said above the fold because he, he did an nice. interview with Tony Kornheiser. So yeah, 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 but binge mode is, is my favorite podcast. Cause I'm with you. I, I'm listening to the Marvel runs right now. I, I love I them. I'm a huge Marvel fan. Love to go see him in movie theaters. So I'm with you. 
Yeah, I actually at the beginning, I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic where I was like, oh, I'm going to do like the full stuff, like the where it, uh, uh, where it's supposed to be in the timeline, but not like when it came out, but like Captain America, Captain America first, Mar- right? Captain Marvel. Yeah. yeah. OK. All right. So we're on the same page. But yeah, so I'm like, I'm one of those two. Like, I, I just I need to go see it in the movie just just to get out. Like, it's just so fun. You know, it's kind of free just being, you know, you I don't know. Anyways, but uh, that's pretty interesting. Some of your obsessions right there. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with these movie theaters? I mean, I don't, I don't know if you can keep build a business on specialty events, you know, like we always see those commercials right before the movie where you see epic events, you know, yeah. and like, uh, you know, the, the next Nutcracker viewing. It's like, I, I don't know how many people are going to see the Nutcracker in movie theaters, you know? Well, for years, they've been trying to do that. So, you know, uh, IMAX for a while, they actually, uh, Marvel did, you know, Marvel used to do the Marvel TV shows on yep. ABC and Netflix, and then they tried to do ABC and now they're all going to be on Disney plus. But Marvel tried to do one on uh, ABC and IMAX actually sponsored it and co-produced it with uh, Marvel. And the first episode, the they shot the episode so that they could air an IMAX and uh, nobody went to them. And, you know, Game of Thrones, they tried something similar. Uh, they tried to do them in IMAX movie theaters and nobody went to them. So for years, movie theaters have been trying to do alternative events in movie theaters. They always try to do boxing matches. Just nobody goes. People want to go to a movie theater to see a movie, right? Uh, it's the movie. It's the two hours. Nobody wants to go for a lot of these other things that they can do in alternative events. And that's why the, the future of movie theaters is so interesting. Yeah. And look, the, the reason the Game of Thrones thing failed, that I, listen, if those were good episodes for season eight, I actually probably would have gone. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> no, but you know, it is – so hardcore fans would go, right? But there is the – there's always the question of opportunity cost, right? And one of the reasons you go to a movie theater – I'm not saying like you and I, we love Marvel, obviously. If they did day and date – Marvel is in a movie theater and it's also available for free on Disney plus you and I would probably go see the movie in the movie theater. Right. But there's the opportunity cost. Most people aren't going to do that. Most people are just going to watch it on their, uh, their TV game of Thrones, similar thing. Yeah. You could go pay 20 bucks to see an episode or two of game of Thrones in the movie theater, but why not just stream it for free on your, uh, at home. I mean, I'm pretty sure I, I watched, uh, um, uh, the battle of Winterfell on like my tiny little MacBook. You know, just because yeah. I need I needed to see it when it came out because I listened to all the podcasts going on with it, so I couldn't not, I, you know. But it but it, it proves your point. I'm with you. No, 100 with you. Word. All right. Well then. Uh, all right. So we hit we hit our, our hot topics for the day on PTI. You know, and and not to lessen any importance because I, I'm just I'm fascinated with your background, how you got to where you're at today. So you know, let's start off, man. Uh, where did your passion for investing and and doing all what we're doing right now begin? Yeah, so it began, I would say, um, in high school. My dad gave me, uh, you know, for like my 16th or 18th birthday, they had done, it was the savings bonds, right? That they buy when you're a kid. And when I turned 16 or 17, it was worth $1,000. My dad gave it to me. I said, hey, you know, it's up to you. Uh, What do you want to do with it? I said, I wanted to invest it. And, you know, I think he was also guiding me towards, hey, you should invest it, right? Uh, So I said, I want to invest it. He said, great. I'm going to call up my Edward, my uh, Edward Jones broker, and we're going to get this invested for you. And he's going to tell you how to invest it in a sharp way, right? So I called him up and he was like, hey, I know exactly what to do for you. Uh, here's this mutual fund that I'm going to do. And we're going to put it in there. And you're going to do great over the long term. You've got a long time horizon. You can just be invested in this forever. So I did it. And then the first month I got a statement and my $1,000 my was worth $945. I was like, oh man, like, I, you know, I've got a long time horizon, but... I didn't realize I was going to lose 50 bucks so quickly. That's 
five hours of work over at vitamin shop. I can't, I was working at vitamin shop at the time. I, I can't believe it. And I looked and you know, there's this 5.5% fee for Edward Jones when you invest into a mutual fund. That's the class A, you know, cl- classic fee. I was like, oh, this guy didn't do that much to take 55 bucks. So I read, you can be a, uh, I read what was investing for dummies. And they were like, hey, don't buy mutual funds. Mutual funds underperform the, mar- the market because of the fee load. Just go buy index funds. So like, oh, then I was like, I want to do better than index funds. How should I do that? So, you know, I read Buffett. I read, I just went on all the value investing things. Uh, so Buffett, you can be a stock market genius, which is my favorite one of all time, all the investing classics. And I got hooked on buying, uh, on investing and trying to outperform. And I remember my freshman year, you know, I had a laptop in college. And they'd be teaching and I would be reading 10Ks in the back of the room. Nice. Oh, that's and, good shit. So, you know, uh, that's how I got my passion for investing. And then eventually, you know, invest in my personal account. I started a, a blog at the time. I met uh, my partner, Krista Mew, through that. And uh, over time, you know, when I was 27 and single, I was working for another firm and uh, I was thinking, hey, do I want to do I want to continue down this path or do I want to go do something on my own? And I talked to Chris and we, we launched something entrepreneurial and that's how I launched uh, the fund I run for Rangely. And then as part of that, you know, a little bit marketing, a little bit of, Hey, I do all this reading and research all the time. And I love writing. I absolutely love writing. I think if I wasn't into investing, I think I would, would have become a writer and uh, started writing the blog and it's been four or five years now. And it's a kind of a passion of love to write the blog. Very cool. Hey, look, man, that book could be down the road. All right. I mean, uh, there, there's quite a few publishers out there that especially once you have your podcast going, you got the fund, you know, I could, I already see the name of the book. It's yet another value book. Come on. That, no, that, so that has writer, to be it. I have thought about writing a finance book before, you know, a la, you can be a stock market genius. Hey, I, I run a fund and let me write the book. And I think that would be great marketing. I know a lot of people have success, but if I wrote a book, man, I'd want to write the next game of Thrones. You know, I went three stories. You read Brandon Sanderson at all? I don't. Oh, Brandon Sanderson. If you love fantasy, I, I I don't know if you love fantasy books or not, but he's he's the gold the gold standard these days. But you know, I want three stories. It's all laid out, a la Game of Thrones, where you know the thing that happened on the third page that you've forgotten seven hundred pages ago comes back and hits you right hard love, at the end of book two or something. I love so. that stuff. You know where I made the mistake with Game of Thrones, I will admit, is I started watching the show before I really read the books. And so I got through about halfway in the yeah. first book and I was like, man, the show's really good. Like, <laughs> not, that I, not that I w- wasn't a page turn. I was actually really enjoying it. I was just like, all right, I got it. The show is just, I'm already on season four. Like, no, I, I hear you. You know. I know the red wedding's coming, so what's the point of reading through to the red wedding? Yeah, I'm like, all right, this is, but but I'm, but I wasn't trying. You do pick up on more of the details though, which is actually really interesting. But my my, uh, we're going on so many tangents about Game of Thrones, but you know, I, I was one of those nerds that I listened to every like Game of Thrones podcast, so I also didn't need to read the book because I just listened to all the all that, the episodes. That's why and, I dropped binge mode earlier. You know, they they would do 75 minute episodes episodes on every episode of game of thrones and they tell how it was different the books and i just loved it that's where i fell in love with that podcast. that was my favorite that was my there's one there's a oh you're, hold on. i'm about to drop a great uh youtube channel for you that you're gonna love and he does great like 10 12 minute episodes on like you know marvel movies game of thrones when it was on uh all, all like the the fanfic all that kind of stuff yeah uh, it's, it's called uh, emergency awesome I don't oh, know. I, I'm very excited to uh, add that to my. Yeah, he's great. Char- his name is Charlie. I forgot his last name, but he he does he does a great job. Really great videos. Very succinct. Talks about you know he did a binge mode version too, and uh, 
Yeah, but very. No, I, I'm writing it down right now. That's great because you know my schedule. The way I, I, I like to work is I wake up, put a, a cup of coffee on, take my dog out for a walk, come back, have the cup of coffee, and for five minutes, you know, I'll just watch a YouTube video and sometimes be a late night monologue or something like that, and then I get my day started. So yeah, that's great. I mean, when I'm doing busy work, that's literally all I have. Like yeah. YouTube is my obsession. I love YouTube. I go on and I, I, I'm, I, I usually have my surf videos on in the background, but that's just that I'm obsessed with surfing. <laughs> but all right, getting back to your, getting back to your your background. And I mean, I, I figured I listen. I want everybody who's listening right now to definitely go. If you're not already a fan or not already subscribed, definitely go and listen to Andrew's pods and stuff like that, where he really he dives deeper into his investing philosophy and strategy and whatnot. But we're gonna get into it a little bit right now. So Andrew, you know, for those who may not have read anything that you've put out there or listened to any of your shows, you know, what would you say is your investing philosophy? You know, how how do you look at potential new investments? Yeah, so you know, I, I think it evolves over time. I mean, I, I say I'm a value well, investor at heart. So cur- so currently. <laughs> well, I, I think it all comes back to I'm a value investor, right? But I think over time, you know, eight years ago, I thought value investing meant, hey, I go find companies that trade for four times earnings and half of book value, and I buy them while the silly fools go and buy their Netflixes at 20 times sales, and I buy these companies at half of book value, and over time, I make 20% per year because you know you buy 10 companies at half of book value, and eight of them will do well. One of those eight will do fantastically and two of them will fail. And on the whole, you'll make a lot of money. And, you know, over time, that's evolved. And now I, I want to buy something at a discount to fair value. But, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of the accounting metrics are how you can judge fair value anymore. Like, I think the price to book value or the buying something for three times price to earnings, that can work in select situations. But in Graham's days, that works across the board because the markets were so inefficient. I think the market's efficient enough that that stuff's in the rearview mirror now, right? And now a lot of what I do is... Uh, you know, I try to find things that are cheap and a lot of times they're, they're cheap for a reason. And I don't want that reason to be, oh, it's super small. I, you know, a lot of it is, Hey, it's cheap because it's shifting business models. So, you know, one of my big calls for a long time was cable, cable companies. And people would look at cable companies and say, oh, historically these have traded for six times EBITDA, six to eight times EBITDA because they're very capital intensive. You know, you've got the cable boxes and you've got a latest wire and you've got video pricing on one side, like it's really expensive to go pay ESPN and, and, and all this sort of stuff. About four years ago, I looked at it and I said, oh, people are scared of cord cutting, right? People are scared people are cutting the cords, to just watch Netflix and stuff. And I thought that was great for the business because they were losing this video product that they were making almost no money on anymore. And they were switching to a broadband product that was basically, I mean, you know, you pay your cable company $60 per month for broadband and $59.95 of that is basically profit, right? Like it's pure profit. Um, They've got this great infrastructure. So I, I looked at this and I said, most people look at the headlines and say cord cutting, and I've got a different thing. I think cord cutting is probably neutral for them. And it's all about the broadband and this broadband business is great. So I'm looking for things where there's a market misperception. That can be one. Or, you know, there's also some classics where a la you can be a stock market genius index kickouts, right? If something's kicked out of the S&P 500, there's tons and tons of selling, especially in a world as indexed as today. I always want to be, not that I'm always going to take the other side of that, but I always want to be looking on the other side of that. Hey, is this a company that's getting sold for non-fundamental reasons? A spin out, you know, I've had a lot of success and a lot of yet another value blogs. Uh, most popular posts are, hey, this company is a 500 million market cap company that got spun out of a $500 billion market cap company. Every S&P 500 uh, index holder had to sell this company non-discriminately. The stock's been hit. It's a pretty good business. The management team's going to be really incentivized because they're taking shares in the new company. So those are the type of things I like. 
Very cool. You know, one thing I want to follow up on there is this idea of market misperceptions, because I, we, you know, we talk a lot on here about various biases. You know, have, has there ever been a time when you're looking, when you thought you nailed a sector because you like, oh, I think the market might be misperceiving this. And you're like, mm, damn it. Like after really looking at it, you're like, all right, maybe the market is kind of, you know, may, maybe my thesis on taking the opposite side or, or looking at this a little differently might not be what actually is happening here. Yeah, look, I, I think 100%. And, you know, if every time you come in with, you think you might have a variant thesis and it you're you're buying everyone, I mean, it's not a variant thesis. You can't be have a variant thesis on every sector, right? So yeah, absolutely. None, none's like screaming to mind. But, you know, I, I do think over the past five years, if you look at it, like the biggest variant thesis, I think was, and unfortunately, I didn't participate enough in it. It was these software as a service companies, they look way, they look crazy expensive on trailing metrics, right? But if you run this one year forward, like their customers are locked in, they've got huge pricing power. They're, they're huge growth opportunities that are pretty easy as they take from like offline share to online share. I mean, that was the biggest various perception out there and a ton of active managers nailed it and have done fantastic returns on the back of that core variant thesis. Absolutely. No, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting, this idea of, you know, when you know, I've done a, I've done a number of interviews on here where we talk about how value investing, like sometimes it's synonymous with just being a contrarian, you know, and I think that's a, a, that's a statement where yes, that can be true, but at the same time, there's just so much variation within that. You know, I'll give an, so I think one that a lot of people and myself included here have had a variant thesis on for a long time is these cable, cable channels, right? Just sticking with the media space. A lot of these cable channels have traded crazy cheaply and they've traded crazy, crazy cheaply for a long time. And I was wrong. I was wrong on them for a long time where I looked at them and I said, Hey, these guys have good, have a good asset base. And, you know, I think for some of them, I was like just flat wrong on. So I, I look at something like a, uh, an, AMC networks, not AMC theaters, AMC networks, which is a single cable channel for years and years and years. It's been super cheap. It's been super cheap. You know, I'll trade it like five times EBITDA and there's no capex, right? So that's, that's five times cash flow and leverage that equity. It's even more because they take some debt and yeah, it looks super cheap. And a lot of people will buy it on, Hey, it's a super cheap cable channel, but the issue is it's a cable channel and cables going away. And once that goes away, they've got like no other assets aside from the walking dead franchise. Right. So that's one where it was very easy to have a varying perception of, Oh, they've got these locked in cable contracts. It's super cheap. Nobody gets it. The market thinks this is going away, but it's not going away. And you were wrong, right? Like it's, it's gone away. Now the other side of that is there can be a boost on the other end where, you know, it was wrong at hundred, it's wrong at 80, it's wrong at 60. But all of a sudden, it's really right at 25 on the way back to 40, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, how do you, I mean, how do you think about when you're evaluating potential uh, company brains to the portfolio or in your own personal account? You know, I, I've been recently doing a lot more interviews where we really have been, you know, a lot, a lot of the, my guests coming on here had that, you know, even longer than three to five, that five to 10 year time horizon. Yeah. So th they're just analyzing that business. You know, it, it's really not so much about the price today. It's more about what they think that price could be in that long term. you know, five, 10 years from now. You know, how, how do you think about that? Well, I do think it's tough, right? Because like, I agree, like, look, the the value of business is the present value of its cash flows. But once you start getting five to 10 years out, like, you know, if you had gone 15 years ago, Amazon, AWS, like a lot of people love to say, Amazon, uh, th this was the buy of the century. It's like, it wasn't because it was a retailer. It's because they they had the, the best CEO in history and they figured out AWS. Or, you know, I, I know people who love to say, oh, Blockbuster should have bought Netflix or Yahoo almost bought Google for a million dollars. It's like, 
guess what? Like the assets wouldn't have evolved the way they did if they were under different ownership. A lot of that comes down to the CEO. So, uh, you know, it's tough when you're looking at long-term. Like I, I do think, especially for one of these companies where it's almost an option, right? Like Netflix is an option on taking over the entire media space five or five years ago. You need to be sure you're betting the right jockey. And for Netflix, Reed Hastings was the right jockey, but there are plenty of companies that you could have bet on that were the wrong jockey for that, right? So I think super long time horizon, especially on these option bets, management becomes important. Controlling the customer becomes important. You know, right now, one of the big differences is I think between Disney Plus and a lot of these other companies that are a lot of these other media companies that are trying to go DTC is Disney Plus has content that people absolutely love and will pay, you know, the Marvel stuff we will pay for no matter what and we'll go find it. And now they're going to control the customer. Whereas you go and look at something like an HBO Max, right? Which you think HBO Max should be pretty successful in the world, but they don't have a lot of content that people are just screaming for anymore like that. And they don't really control their customers. Most people get it through Amazon or through their cable company or something. So yeah, HBO, they're in a weird position, right? And not to go on a whole nother tangent, but like, for instance, I I mean, my wife and I were watching the undoing right now and great show. Highly recommend everybody should watch it. We're on, we're on episode three or four. So uh, uh, no spoilers, but, um, but the, my main point being is that, you know, we were able to find it because, you know, we have cable in our room and we were able to find, uh, find it on demand because it's still being played on HBO. Whereas you're thinking to yourself, you know, a show like that, that could generate that much buzz. That is such a great incentive to want to get somebody to maybe go and try out a subscription on HBO max, you know, and, 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 and it just, I don't know. It seems like there's there there's still a lot of uh... and and think about HBO Max, right? Like yeah. Netflix right now, you can get a Netflix account for thirteen dollars, and it has more content than you could ever get in your entire life, right? And then Disney Plus, people like you and I are going to bo- go buy Disney Plus no matter what because we want to watch our Marvel movies, and I've got to watch every episode of The Mandalorian, right? That's, that's, but that's I'm behind, but I will. HBO charges fifteen dollars per month to the cable company, and their deal with the cable company says. We can go do streaming and DTC, but we can't charge less than $15 per month, which is what you charge your consumers, right? So how the heck is HBO with less content than uh, than Netflix? How are they going to compete over time? Yes, they have these quick hits where a Game of Thrones or an Undoing can lure people in. But at some point, you know, like I watch all Game of Thrones and then I finished, uh, I what was that one over the summer by uh, the Keen Peel guys? I can't remember it. Lovecraft Country. I finished Lovecraft Country. But once I watched those two, I'm probably going to cancel my subscription and just go to Netflix. And at some point, you know, like I've made this point a lot on the blog, Net Cobra Kai was a huge hit for Netflix. Oh, great it, show. It was on YouTube for two seasons before. Nobody watched it. Then it goes on Netflix. And because of Netflix's distribution, it becomes a giant hit, right? And eventually that distribution is going to allow them to win. And HBO Max doesn't have that distribution. And the flywheel just keeps turning against HBO Max every month that they don't kind of figure this thing out. So... Anyway, I'm all over the place on it. I, I'll let you kind of rope me back in as the host. No, no. I mean, look at the end. I, I, I find this fascinating, and and really because I, you know, I, I, I look on a daily basis. We're trying to, we're finding ourselves like, all right, what the hell do we watch? And on what streaming service do we watch this or that? And you know, we end up always going back onto Netflix at some point, and you know, because that ends up always having the biggest buzz of like the Queen's Gambit. We watched that. That was amazing. Oh, that was great. Yeah. You, you know, and it's funny you brought up Cobra Kai because I again I'm obsessed with YouTube. 
I was seeing that on the YouTube, uh, what is it, YouTube TV or whatever, whatever their platform plus, I, I forgot the name, you, YouTube Red, I think it was. And um, and I saw it there all the time, you know, of saying, hey, go watch it and go. And I wanted to watch it so bad, but it was all they had. So yeah. I was like, why am I, you know, I know they have the channels and everything, but like, I don't need, that's not what I'm here for YouTube for, you know? So I was so happy when I finally saw it on Netflix. I'm like, yes, I wanted to watch this so bad. And it was great. It? Oh, hell yeah. It was great. <laughs> So I've only watched on YouTube. You, you podcast this as well, right? Yes. So, you know, only the YouTubers will get this. But if you put on 30 pounds and grew your hair out and grew a, a goatee, you could be Stingray from uh, from Cobra Kai. I could be Stingray. got one of those little things. You'd have to put on 30 pounds for it, though. <laughs> That's good stuff. Maybe I'll do that for Halloween uh, next year. If we're, be good. If we're allowed to go out. I've, I've been I've been wanting to pull a Johnny Bravo at some point. I've been getting Johnny Bravo a lot. When I used to wear a lot of black shirts. I'm like, oh, look, your hair is all up. You're like Johnny Bravo. But uh, we'll, we'll try that for the year after. All right. Let's bring it back. You know, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I wanted to kind of bring it back home. And because, you know, with with the starting the blog, two podcasts, you know, what would, how would you say your strategy has changed over the years? You know, what what what's what core things have you been like? Oh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. Yeah. So I, I think the, I think the biggest change, and this is part of the reason the podcast evolved, was, you know, including last year, a, a lot of it was I was really attracted to these companies that. You know, we talked about it, the AMCX like companies where they trade for five times earnings, they're competing against Netflix. And I'd go in and I look at them and, you know, I do so much work and I'd be like, I'm going to be smarter than the market. I'm going to find these ones that um, where the market is wrong, you know, it's beaten down. And, and I, you know, I love share buyback stores and all this. And they can buy back tons of shares. And then when the market is right and like my cash flows and, and over time, you know, it, and over time, I've just seen like the power and, uh, IEC with match.com is the one that really taught me this where people would look at match.com and they'd say, oh, Tinder's never going to make money. It trades at 50 times EBITDA. That's a joke. And I met my wife on uh, a, a Tinder competitor. And I said, you guys don't understand. Like this thing has a, a monopoly on if you're 20 to 35, it has a monopoly on dating pretty much. Like I get that the trailing financials, you know, it's growing, but at some point they're going to figure out how to monetize this thing. Like that is really valuable. So over time uh, I, I've tried to shift more to, and I guess this is what most investors are doing. I want to find the company, you know, where the financials aren't fully reflecting just how valuable it's going to be yet. And the podcast was a way of me talking to investor, it, talking to a lot of investors who are smart about a lot of things, but in particular, I wanted to talk to investors who are really good at identifying, Hey, the trailing financials, look bad. But as you said, if you look out three to five years, they've got this flywheel going. And when they when and if they hit on it, this is going to be worth a seven bagger or something. Yeah. How would you do you think that might change? Because I've, I've been hearing that pretty consistently, especially in the last six months with with people who I've interviewed on here, you know, is that do you, do you think that might change if you start to see a downturn in the market a little bit? Or what, what do you think? You know, it's tough. This year in this market's so weird, right? Yeah. Like you would have said, yeah. And like this year, if you're a value stock, you're down like 50x, 50%. And then if you're a Netflix or something, you're up 5x because everybody's, you know, they, we can't interact online. A lot of these uh, classic right. value companies are more physical than online. So it's tough to say, you know, uh, I don't know, because the other thing is, 
you know, 30 years ago, the, I think one of the reasons value worked was businesses didn't scale like today, right? So if you were a regional department store, there was only so far Walmart could push in and you could kind of consolidate. You had some local network advantages and you could maybe sell stuff that Walmart wasn't selling. So there were pivots and you had hard assets, which kind of supported your downside. But today, you know, if you're trying to compete against Amazon and retail or something like there's no limits to the scale of Amazon and retail or Netflix in media or something. So I don't know, you know, like I, I, a lot of these small cap value companies, they're competing against Amazon and Amazon has no limit and cost them nothing to go and destroy these companies. So it's a tough dichotomy because nobody wants to touch the value stocks and none of them have worked, but at the same time, a lot of them are going bankrupt and it's almost, there's a reason that nobody wants to touch these things, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I commiserate with Toby every time I, I get him on. Just like, uh, you know, like stay the course, brother. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, my next question, this is my favorite question. I like to ask everybody that I have on here. So, um, and, I, and I'm sure you have a few war stories yourself. So, you know, what, what would you say are, are an, is an investing experience or two that impacted you the most in your career? Uh, well, I think the pandemic is going to be one for sure. Um <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I, I would go back to that IAC match thing because, A, it taught me, match and fraternity taught me, hey, you need to be willing to look past these. You need to be able to look past trailing financials when you've got a company with a big flywheel and that's attacking a big market. Because if you can really see it, you can really get paid on it and it can grow a lot bigger than anyone thinks. You know, like I when when I wrote it match, it was at $18 per share. And I think Bulls thought this thing could be worth 30 or something, right? And you know, I don't read a lot of sell-side research, but I think the highest price target on the street was like 28 or 35 or something. And two years later, the stock was 140, right? So with these internet businesses, when they scale and you get it right, the, the directionality can be magnitudes better. And the other thing it taught me is, you know, again, I'm a value investor. So the way I played match was not by buying match stock, but buying the, buying the parent stock, IAC, which IAC, I think a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with it. It's a value stock favorite. It's a growth company favorite because they've got this incredible management team. They've got a history of all these great growth assets and they spin them out and they always trade at a discount. So you can always go buy it at a discount. Eventually they'll spend it out and you make all this money and they've got great assets. So everybody loves them. But I bought IAC and, you know, like three years later, IAC stock was up 150%, which anybody will take 150% in three years, but matches stock was up almost 10 times. Right. And because I had said, Hey, I want to go buy this hold co at a 20% discount where 50% of the assets are so are in match instead of just saying, hey, the reason I'm attracted to it is because I think I've got this unique inside on match. Let's go buy match. Because of that, you know, I cost myself 850% of return over three years, which is a lot of return. So, you know, I'm trying to be better about it all comes back to I don't want to be related to, hey, I need to buy something, a hold co at a discount or something, right? Like if you've got a an insight into a business, you can ignore the the near-term EBITDA multiples. You can ignore, hey, I'm not buying at a discount. Just go buy the business. Very good. All right. Well, we're about rounding the bend here. So, and I listen. I, honestly, I, I just kind of want to talk a little Marvel for like the re- for for another hey, two hours. Happy back but, on whenever you want. I'll, oh I'll hell yeah! A new guest host of Planet Mike, and we'll have our spinoff pod, the Game of Thrones Marvel binge mode pod. It'll be great for investors. You know, we're we'll you know here we're going to give you all a unique insight on media because this is all the stuff we're watching. So you should look at these companies. But anyways, um, so. For new investors that might be listening to this out there, you know, what what advice might you have for them? Yeah. So like, I think if you're a new investor, A, if you want to become, not that I'm a professional investor, though I, my job is investing, like you need to open up a personal account and start investing. You need to do it in extremely small size and assume all of it is going to zero. 
Uh, it's going to take you five years at minimum to really start knowing what you're doing. And even then, like, you know, I've been investing on my own for, I'd say, 11, 12 years at this point. And I'll still do an investment, come back three years later, look at it and be like, what was that guy thinking? Like, wh why was this guy doing that? So it's going to take a lot of time. Uh, and, you know, I think if you want to, at some point, you're going to have to devote yourself full time to it. I know there are a lot of Robinhood investors who are getting rich YOLO day trading SPACs and stuff, but uh, I, I don't think that lasts forever. So if you want to become a professional investor, I, I think you personal account, you need to get experience investing. If you don't want to become a professional investor and you, you know, like researching individual stocks for the fun of it, that's great. Go do it. But it's a hobby, you know, just treat it like a hobby. Don't put all your money into it. Index funds, all that type of stuff. And if you don't want to be a professional investor and you don't enjoy doing it, just go buy an index fund and head to the beach. I think that's a great place to end it. With that, Andrew, where can my audience go and find everything they need to know to follow you, listen to your, your podcast, uh, go and read everything on yet another value blog. Let's, you know, yeah, let's so, give, uh, give all the plugs you want. Twitter, Andrew Rangeley. I'm sure you guys will be able to follow me on Twitter. I'm sure you'll post a link and tag me and everything. So Andrew Rangeley, I, I post everything up there. You know, uh, the podcast is yet another value bot, yet another value podcast, YouTube, all your favorite podcast stuff is on there. And then yet another value blog.com. I write posts, you know, several times a month, uh, a lot of effort and work and thought goes into them, but hopefully they're enjoyable. And uh, I think if you if you like really getting into investing, I think you'll like it. So yeah. And look before he and then before he publishes his uh, fantasy series, yet another value book. It's forthcoming. We're our, it's our the rights are already getting shopped. Let's go. I I, I love I've you know I've thought about it. At, at some point I might. I'll, I'll just have. It's tough though. You know, there's so many great investing books out there. Like. Do you, you don't need to go write in another intelligent investor. You don't need to go write. You can be a stock market genius because that's probably the best book on a venture of investing. So like, what's your angle for investing in a book that's not yet another book? You know, I don't know, but the marketing is so good. The name it, is great. It really is. Like that. That just that just on its own. You know, you're just like it's like a it's like the 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 nego sell sell uh, sale. You know, you're just like oh. And then I can go, you know, I can go to the high school 20 year reunion and say, I'm an author, published an author. author. Yeah. You guys like, oh, did you, oh, it's like, oh, did you get that fantasy? No, no, no. It's an investing book. Like, oh, investing book. Okay. Yeah, I got you from your Robin Hood years. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. From my Robin Hood years. <laughs> but anyways, Andrew, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, real quick. Full disclosure. Uh, are you a shareholder in, I think, I think you said AMC. You know, the only Marvel. stock we mentioned that I, I, I'm a shareholder in is uh, I have very big, I have a very large position in IAC. And then uh, we mentioned the cable companies and yep. I own a couple cable companies. I don't think we mentioned any in particular, but those are the only two that I, I'd have positions and we discussed. Very cool. All right. Well, with that, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today. This was awesome. I know I'm going to have you back on for one of our shows and uh, hey, have a great trip. Be safe and uh, we'll talk soon. Hey, thanks for having me on. Love to be back on at some point. Have a good one, man. Right, thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.